Welcome, everyone, to the Wild Society podcast. Um, we've actually uh, been a couple weeks since we've done one of these. We've been traveling and uh, working our industry um, busiest time of the season, selling season, if you will. Started sometime in, I'd say, late December and and uh, SHOT Show and Wild Sheep Foundation and buy group shows. It's been a little crazy, So, but we're getting back to... Uh, Back to the basics. Um, and I thought it would be a good time to sit down and talk with some really dear friends of mine and people that I work with about their lives and how it's affected by their time and occupation within the outdoor industry, which is sort of the theme of the Wild Society podcast. Interesting people doing interesting things in the outdoors um, for a career or vocation. So with me today, I have... Megan Edwards, who last name is not a coincidence. She's my niece. And Megan is the assistant wrangler for Spotted Bear Ranch. Welcome, Megan. Hi. It's good to be here. How does it sound when you hear somebody say that you're the assistant wrangler at Spotted Bear Ranch? It's honestly kind of crazy because it's been like my goal my entire life to just ride ponies and get paid for it. And somehow I figured out how to do it. That's super cool. Super cool. So you're doing exactly what you always wanted to do. Exactly what I've always wanted to do. So is it true then that if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life? Honestly, yeah. Really? Like, yeah. I wake up every day, get to do exactly what I want and wouldn't change anything. Wow. That's really cool. We also have with us today, Nick Ramberg. Nick, welcome. Hello. Hello. <laughs> you can move that and make it so it's comfortable so you can go back to chill mode where you were sitting. Um, so, Nick, you work for Polymer 80 as a sales director, right? Yep. Regional yep. sales director? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I guess. Sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, sounds good. Perfect. I think on my, uh, it says national sales manager on my business card. Whoa. We don't want to take that away from you. <laughs> regional is definitely a step down. So you're national. I love it. Um, so Nick, you work with Polymer 80 as the national sales manager and then tell me what else you do. Uh, I do a lot of different things. Um, also, you know, um, help pioneering wild society into, you know, retailers, uh, was on, spoke with a lot of you guys earlier, um, on the Matt Forsyth episode, but, um, yeah, do a lot of kind of the day-to-day -day operations of wild society as well. Um, and all things that kind of encompass that. And yeah, I guess that's takes up a lot of my time, I'd say. So, you're with Wild Society and Polymer 80, and is there in Strike Pay, correct? Yeah, and then Strike Pay, which is our uh, 2A friendly credit card processing, um, which, you know, had found a need for in the marketplace. Um, you know, a lot of folks are getting having troubles or getting turned off on their credit card processing. And this day and age, not many folks are paying cash. So uh, that definitely loses some clientele. But yeah, yep, uh, work on you know, integrating strike pay into more retailers and manufacturers alike. Perfect. Awesome. Great description. Um, so here's sort of the essence of what I wanted to talk about with the two of you. And that is this, is you both are in your twenties, correct? Yeah. yeah. And you have spent some period of time at some point with an aspirational goal for what you wanted your careers to look like. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would say so. Well, we know where Megan's at 
where's Nick at in that evolution? Is this like your dream job? Is it just a job? Like what, give me a little background and, and where you stack up as it relates to the way that Megan spoke about her occupational uh, enjoyment. Man, uh, I guess just put me on the spot here. Um, Let's get to it. I thought I was just going to check mic levels. I didn't think I was going (laughs) to be talking this much. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I guess, um, you know, being able to do, to be in the outdoor industry is definitely, I think, a dream. It's definitely, you know, to a lot of people, a dream job. Um, you know, a lot of my friends are like, oh, I'm so jealous of your job. You get to go travel around the country and do this and do that and go to go all these cool shows. Um, I think that that, you know, also has its downside, you know, living in an airplane isn't that fun, you know, when you have to fly in the back middle. But, um, I think, well, the longer you fly, the less you fly back in middle. Yeah. So yeah. the more you get it over with, the more, you know the better yeah. that gets you'll be sitting up in first class all the time at some point right uh yeah i mean hopefully hopefully that's the goal right it, you know sometimes they're full when you book last minute so you don't get upgraded but uh i i guess dream job wise i think yeah i mean i i love doing what i do every day and it's fun getting up and there's a lot of challenges to it and i really enjoy the challenges. Um, and I think a lot with wild society is giving back, you know, the conservation aspect of it all. Um, you know, really excited about, uh, you know, our future plans with wild society and, you know, how we are trending. Um, I think that, you know, the sky is the limit. Um, and eventually we'll be donating, you know, hopefully a million dollars a year to conservation efforts. So I think that alone is very exciting because it's, it's not just fulfilling, personally that's financially it's more overarching fulfilling you know nationally and especially just here in montana um well you come from a long line of conservationists we covered that i think we touched upon it in one of our previous podcasts but just as a refresher could you give us a little background on what i mean when i say you come from a long line of conservationists yeah yeah definitely um my great-grandfather, uh, Bud Moore, was a big conservationist in uh, the west side of Montana and then also down into, you know, northeast side of Idaho. Um, he was Forest Service Ranger on, on Powell Ranger District, um, basically was in the Forest Service his entire life, um, and then just did a lot of conservation. Um, wrote some books about conservation, Give gave back... Time. Uh, the Locksaw story. So that would be his like biggest book, really is one published book, but uh, just kind of talks about life on the Locksaw River and, you know, how things changed, um, especially in the wilderness aspect of things of how, what happened when fires came through and just the real story of him growing up on the Locksaw. Um, super interesting. But yeah, I mean, you know, to this day, his legacy still lives on. There's a scholarship at University of Montana um, for, for people that are interested in forestry. So his conservation was more done in the forestry aspect. Um, and which, you know, is very, Super impactful. Yeah, very impactful, very needed. Um, you know, it does create the air that we breathe. So I think, um, sometimes that gets overlooked and, you know, just dealing with a lot of stuff regarding let it burn in the wilderness and how that actually impacts forests successfully. Um, you know, was kind of some of his work as well. Um, yeah. And then my grandfather, 
Uh, his son still very much involved in forestry and all things uh, outdoors. So he Did that make him your uncle. No, no, my no, my grandfather. You said my grandfather and his son. So yeah, my grandfather, my great grand, so Bud's son, my great grandfather's son, my grandfather. <laughs> I got it. Um, <laughs> he he, you know, he still volunteers on two different fire lookouts in the summer. Um, is running one of those right now, um, and just kind of you know living the legacy of his dad and and trying to you know hold um, hold up some of some of the things he did create, um, you know, Coyote Forest is a conservation, um, conservation property in the, um, just outside of Condon that, that they still run and, uh, just doing a lot and giving back that way. That's um, super cool, man. Yeah. Just kind of, I guess got a little deep in there, but yeah. No, no, that, that, well, I think that the intent of our podcast is to go super deep and not real, um, horizontal. We're we're going to pick on a subject today, and we're going to continue to. Re, it'll be redundant subject subject wise, but you two represent two really opposite ends of the spectrum on how someone can work in the outdoor industry. Um, you know, Megan, you're in the services side of the business, which means you're in the outdoors. You're out there doing it, and Nick, you're in the goods. Uh, business, which is the commerce, right? Selling products to people who intend on using them in the outdoors, which doesn't necessarily mean you're, you know, in the outdoors, but you're helping people with whatever tools that you're able to provide them with so that they can enjoy their time of field more safely or, or just more comfortably. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, for sure. Perfect. So let's talk about how you prepared each of you differently for what you do. And Megan, we'll start with you. You always wanted to ride ponies and get paid for it. Um, why didn't you become a, a jockey? <laughs> um, I don't know. You know, I like to be outside and, and camp and just be in the wilderness. And if you're just a jockey, you have to, like, talk to a bunch of people. And ride you know? in circles. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not the most social person out there. So definitely being able to be in the backcountry with just some mules and my dog. That's definitely where I like to be for sure. How did you discover that? Because where did you grow up? I grew up in Pennsylvania. And did you spend a lot of time in the backcountry of Pennsylvania? <laughs> uh, no. No, I, I grew up in a neighborhood. I rode like hunter jumper ponies. Mm -hmm. So like pretty much the opposite of my life now. Um, but, you know, I would would go to Montana in the summer sometimes and, and get to ride and figured out that that's where I really wanted to be. And then I kind of quit playing lacrosse because I did that growing up and just focused on riding a bunch and, you know, kind of did anything I could to, to get on that path of just riding and, you know, moved to Montana when I was 18 and then have never left pretty much. So, so when you were, would you say that like your time spent with horses though, was about trying to build your knowledge base of care for stock. And yeah. I mean, those are the kind of things I think that our listeners would be interested. Like you didn't take the typical route. You didn't go to college after you graduated high school, correct? Yeah. And so, but do you feel like you studied your vocation so that when it was time and you had the ability, you could go do it? Absolutely. Yeah. I started riding when I was three mm -hmm. and 
you know, never stopped. And I think just spending so much time being around horses and, and caring for them, you know, like doing, you know, I had to do stalls and, and groom them and just learning how to take care of animals for sure. Like from a young age, definitely helped get ready for what my job is, you know, was going to be. So very cool. So one other kind of question on that same sort of vein that we were on, when you went to Spotted Bear, you started there as the um, assistant wrangler, right? No, I had to do the housekeeping for a little while. And that was so like a super cool experience in the moment. Like I didn't think it was all that cool, you know, like cleaning toilets and I'm like the probably the messiest person out there. So to have to like clean up after other people was super humbling. Uh, so I kind of, you know, the job part, I wasn't too wild about, but it was, it was pretty, it was pretty cool too. Cause I got to see all my friends go off and do things outside for their jobs. And I was super jealous and I was like, you know, like I'm glad I started doing this, like having to be in the kitchen and serving people and, you know, cleaning up after people because it made me see how much I did really want to be in the backcountry and, you know, get to do all that kind of stuff. So um, that's fascinating because I think that is something that generationally um and I'm at 55, so I have the typical 55-year-old perspective of the newest generation. It has been 30 years of being a boss, for instance, that I have seen an evolution in what you get when you hire a, a lot of the recent high school or college graduates. And that is, is that they know what they want but they're not willing to do the things that will give them the opportunity to do it. They want that instant gratification. Like they want to start at the top. And one of the things I, I remember talking with you about is what is your greatest ability? Do you remember? I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Availability. You got to show up even when you're doing stuff that you don't like to do, because when you do the things that you have to do, you get to do the things you want to do, right? It's a quid pro quo. Like as someone who owns businesses, we spend a lot of time in observation of the people who work with us. And one of the things that I will tell you is like, if somebody walks in the door and they start demanding things, they won't work for us with us because when somebody starts working with you, they have everything to learn. And the gift that we give them is the time and the investment to, to teach them the things so that they can be successful. So you, have paid your dues. How long were you a housekeeper slash server at the at the lodge? And two summers, two seasons, right? Yeah, yeah. And so the first season you did it, and you were just nervous if you could do it. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. And then how would you describe your attitude the second season? Well, the second season was really tough because I got an offer to pack in the Sawtooth Wilderness, and so it was really tough to go back to Spotted Bear and you know not get to ride ponies. I was like, huh, you know, this kind of is awful, but obviously glad I, I'm glad I did it. 
But yeah, it was a little tougher the second year for sure. Because you knew what you were going to have to go do. Yeah. And it was busier the second year. Yeah. Your first year was the co- your was, COVID year. It was the best. It was awesome. <laughs> there wasn't much going on though. No, there were like, you know. Nine guests, whether you needed yeah, them or not. It was perfect. Like I got to ride a bunch. I got to fish all the time. I basically was, you know, getting paid to hang out with my friends. So that was cool. But yeah, the second year was a lot harder. Hmm. So, Nick, what did you do to prepare for your opportunity to work in the outdoor space? Because you're an outdoorsman. You like to hunt, fish, camp, ski. I mean, I don't want to shortchange you. There's a whole lot of stuff I've noticed that you have interest in. And um, tell me a little bit about how you got started in the outdoor space. Yeah, I guess... um... Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, this is what they call both of you suffer from the same ailment. And that ailment is that you're unconsciously competent. You don't really correlate what your background was and why that helped you be successful, not to get the opportunity, because a lot of people get an opportunity, but it's what they do with it, right? Yeah. You were ready, Megan to be the assistant wrangler by the time you had got two full seasons in, right? You knew what the job was and you really knew you wanted it. So you could work and strive for it and do what you needed to do to be ready. Nick, he's sitting here trying to figure out like, what, I don't know, what did I do? Well, what you did was, did you go to college? No, yeah. I mean, I went. went. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is a good start. Tell us a little bit about your college education. I went to Montana State University here in Bozeman. Um, started out as mechanical engineering actually, and then realized I didn't really want to do that. And then, you know, kind of enjoyed numbers, wanted to do something business related, didn't want to do business management or wasn't too generalist. Yeah. Maybe wasn't allowed to um, either. My dad's like, well, yeah, you don't have to be an engineer, but can't get a business management degree. So I went out and, uh, switched to economics and then did that. And then also, you know, added finance in my last year and really enjoyed, you know, the economics finance side of things. Kind of thought I was going to be a financial advisor, financial planner at the end of it. But, uh, I guess stars aligned and just didn't, that didn't work out luckily. And, you know, selling the outdoors now, I guess. So that's interesting because some people have a plan that is choreographed like to the detail and, and they never find a way into the industry. They're passionate about the outdoors. Like they maybe even go into forestry or they go into, you know, something that is really closely related from a degree perspective of working in the outdoors, but then they graduate and they make a few failed attempts at getting a job and they give up and they, and they end up in some cubicle somewhere. But you started out trying to get to the cubicle because that's what you would have been in if you'd have been a financial advisor, just aspiring to have a double spaced cubicle someday (laughs) on a corner. Yeah. And somehow or another, you end up in a spot where a fair number of young people want to be in the outdoors and making a living and you're making a pretty good living. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. I mean, Bozeman's expensive, but yeah. I like how he did that. He's like, don't don't ever let anybody know that might influence your pay that you feel like you're fairly paid. (laughs) 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 So um, what is the one thing, Nick, now that you've been in the industry for how long? Uh, 
Not very long. Um, when did you start with Strike Group and? January was 2022. A year. Yeah, so just over a year. I guess a year and two months. Okay. Um, yeah. So I. So not too long. And so now that you've been in the industry, have you continued to refine what your objectives are as to what you want to do, or are you are you doing it? Now, no, I would say I'm, I think I'm doing it now. Um, like you just want to do what you're doing. Yeah, I and think I just want to do what I'm doing. I really enjoy it, and it's a lot of fun. And I enjoy the traveling. I enjoy the shows. I enjoy you know customer interface, um, especially on the consumer side. You know, seeing happy customers and uh, people coming up to you and saying, "Hey, we love this. We love that." So I think that that alone, you know, that's you know gratification. I'd say. <coughs> Okay, we're back. We were we were waiting for a special guest, and she's just shown up. So we had to stop things and get them recalibrated. But um, special guest, tell our listeners who has joined the party. <laughs> so much pressure. Hi, my name's Maddie. Is there a reason that you're doing that? <laughs> you can just get really close to this, and that'll do the job. Mm-hmm. And you can't. Like you, you don't want to touch it, but you can be close to it. It's a spit guard. You'll you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Okay. So Madison, tell us what you do. I feel like I do a list of things. Um, we'll make a list. Okay. I run all the booking for our our ranch, Spotted Bear. And what does that entail? Um, wilderness adventures and fly fishing trips. Nice. Nice. Um, are you a fly fisherman yourself? Um, I wouldn't say like an expert, but I like to do it every now and again. Okay. Um, I help out with Wild Society. I run all the social stuff and help with logistics when it comes to packaging, I guess you could say. Um, cool. And then I guess I help, I don't know, other just random other little things you ask me to do, I do. Um. So what what did you do to prepare for your occupation in the outdoor industry? Uh, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) This is the best. Um, Madison's my daughter. I've worked in the outdoor industry my entire career with the exception of a few short years here and there, but um, been in it my whole life. And it was... It was a personal mission of mine that my daughters would want to enjoy the outdoors. And and they do. They do. In fact, I would say that um, as they've gotten older, their interest in it has definitely increased. Um, but tell everyone, Madison, where you got your education that prepared you so well for your time in the outdoor industry. Uh, the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising in uh, Los Angeles, California. <laughs> like as in downtown Los Angeles. Skid Row, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you always saw yourself in the position that you're in right now. Oh, 100%. We could, couldn't have dreamt it up better. <laughs> <laughs> so your, jo- your dreams were fashion. Yes. And... Um, Megan's dream was to work in the outdoors and she's doing it. Mm-hmm. Nick's like Nick's description was more sort of in the middle. I would suggest that like, like he's doesn't really know what he did and how he got there, but he's really glad he's there because yeah. he loves the outdoors. I would say he networked pretty well. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, 
But you absolutely were on a path that was as divergent from the outdoor industry as one could be in fashion. Is that fair? 100%. And is that because you don't like to be like, you're not a hunter and a fisherman or anything like that? Um, or you just didn't didn't think you would be? I don't think I ever thought I would be. And I don't think it's because I had anything against it. It was just, I don't know. But you are now. Yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> you guess. So um, do you hunt? Yes. And what animals have you hunted for? Deer, geese, pheasant. So, yeah. Sweet. And you do you enjoy that? Yeah. What's your favorite one of those endeavors? Do you have one? Um, I one. I don't think I've done enough of it to really pick because I feel like so far I've done each once or twice. So I'm kind of just you getting bear hunting. That is true. I did go bear Your hunting. Little feet got wet. <laughs> I stuck a toe. But um, no, I feel like I'm just getting into it. So I couldn't say I have a favorite yet. So how is it when you see yourself like, I don't know, was the dream Milan and Paris and New York City and L.A. and design and all this stuff like and now all of a sudden you're, you know, booking people mm. to go live in the dirt and sleep in the, under the stars like I that's a big change. Well, yeah, it's definitely a big change, but I don't think there was ever like a dream to be like at the top of fashion. I think that it was like I wasn't good at school, so I found something that I like. It was fun. And I did enjoy it, but it was more of like a hobby. And then I kept doing the whole retail fashion thing and realized it really wasn't great at pay. So I opted for something else and then just actually ended up really, really enjoying it. So um, that's funny because what we have is like three completely different paths to to a similar dynamic. Right. Mm -hmm. You have. Megan, who spent time from the time she was three on the back of a horse and caring for horses because she wanted to figure out a way to get paid to ride. So she was very purposeful. <laughs> it was always, and I can remember the first time she went to Spotted Bear and came back and it was like, I'm going to go live there and I'm going to work there someday. And it was immediate. <laughs> Whereas you grew up going there because we own the ranch and we'd go there and the, you'd come for the summers and we would spend a lot of time up there, but it wasn't even on your list. It wasn't a consideration. No. But now you really enjoy it. Yeah. And I think uh, maybe just a little bit more mature. So I understand the beauty and appreciate it way more now than I maybe did before. As sad as that sounds. But no. No, it's well, the truth is always convenient, right? Yeah. Like it's always just good enough. Um, not everybody spends their life in pursuit of a particular thing. Yeah. Some people go through life and they fall into things or they accept things. Yeah. And I guess that was sort of the analogy I would use for you where she was very purposeful, very directed and did exactly what she wanted to do. Nick had a uh, general understanding that he enjoyed numbers and finance and things like that. And he gets to deploy those skill sets in his present job as a national sales manager for P80 and for Wild Society. Yeah. Um, so not specifically targeting what he's doing now, but, you know, building towards it. And it was sort of yeah. like, hey, well, this worked out good, but it wasn't exactly like ordained in his yeah. mind that that's what he was working towards. Whereas for you, you were going 180 degrees the other way. <laughs> and now you're in the outdoor industry. And there's a fair number of people that go like, wow, how did you get that job? Like, 
that's a pretty cool job you get to do because you you do have a cool job and yeah. you're really good at it. But it was never something that you were like, I'm going to go do that. No. Right. That's so I guess that's one of the the, the sort of the overview of this podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Like you have opportunities that come your way and they come through a variety of ways. One's preparation, which is what I would describe Megan's as, Mm -hmm. right? She was endeavoring to prepare herself for the eventuality that someday she'd get a chance. And then there's the other one, which is that you just uh, achieve a level of excellence at things that you do. And because you're that excellent, you get opportunities thrown your way because people see you as someone who does things in a way that's excellent. Yeah. I would describe Nick that way. Yes. I would say that what he does and how he does it has a lot of people thinking like, you should come work with us because you're going to be good at it. But he'd be good at just about anything he decided to do. Yeah. Right. And then there's you who's just sort of like, I don't know, I'll figure it out when I get there. But right right now, I'd have no idea. But it all worked out pretty good. What was the why? Why you? Have you ever asked yourself that question? You're doing exactly what you want to do in a way that you love to do it. Mm -hmm. You're compensated fairly, handsomely, not at all. I would say uh, handsomely. Okay. So that's aspirational for a lot of people. How did you do it? Knew the right guy. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true. It's not. Well, you probably got the opportunity because you're my daughter. Yes. I would agree with that. But it's what you did with it, right? No, I definitely think when I first started, I had to prove myself. Um. Do you think it was harder because you were my daughter or yes. easier? Wow, that was an answer. That was well, a fast answer. But in a good way, because I think one thing that I've always feared is like people looking at me or differently or not taking me seriously just because I am your daughter. And because of that, I've always just tried harder. And then you've always just kept me like held me accountable. So that's always helped. Does that a good thing or a bad thing? I would say it's a good thing because I think like naturally, like, I, I mean, maybe not every person, but I think as a human, like you have a tendency to take things, take advantage of things just because they could be potentially easy. So having somebody hold you accountable is important because not that I don't think I had respect, but I don't know. I think you could waver if somebody didn't think I could probably slack off knowing myself. So I will say this, like I, you know, you're my daughter, so there's no secrets here, right? Like we both know, like you weren't that interested in school. No. Like you could have been good at it. You chose not to be. Yeah. I would say fair statement. Oh, I think I'm a very intelligent person, but I'm not, um, I didn't apply myself. Um, okay. And so that's changed though. 100%. And, and, and just, and this is something as a father that I feel so good about, like Mm -hmm. you discovered that you like being a highly accountable person that's instrumental in a very important component of, of a business. You're paid handsomely because you're incredibly good at what you do. And if you're not good at it, none of those other people have anything to do. Yeah. That's for some people that's pressure for other people. That's opportunity. You've looked at it, treated it like an opportunity. Yeah. You never looked at it or didn't project that you felt like it was a burden. No. And I think that like, uh, like as you grow up, you have life experiences and instead of looking at things as like, I have to do this, like it's more of like a get to. And I think that has been a big thing in my life of like, I don't have 
to have this job, but I get to have this job. And it's like a lot of people would kill to have this job. Or even like with school, like so many people, you're like, you're so, there's so many people that are lucky enough to get to go to school. And I guess that's like, I know I'm only 26, but it's like, if I could do it over again, I'd be like, I get to go to school. And I probably would have tried a little bit harder. You know, isn't that amazing? Like the, the epiphany in your life has been gratitude. Mm -hmm. When you started looking at the blessings in your life as blessings, you appreciated them more and made more out of them. Yeah. Is that a fair statement? 100%. That's what I have watched and witnessed as your father. And it's been a tremendous source of pride. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's any greater feeling as a, as a father than to see your kids do well. Yeah. And and better even than that is that you see your kids in a way that you really like them. And and I get to say that. <laughs> like, I know we're supposed to love our kids, and I do. Yeah. But there's nothing that says I have to like them. Yeah. Like, some kids are hard to like, right? <laughs> yeah. But you're not. You're not hard to like. You're, you have come in, and one of the other secrets to your success, I think you're unconsciously competent about as well is that you have a servant's heart. Yes. You take care of everyone. And they look at you because you're my daughter and they're surprised that you do that and feel that way. They feel honored by you in that yeah. way. I think that's pretty cool. I do too. What a great legacy. Yeah. You're, you're not Jeff's daughter. You're an integral part of what happens at Spotted Bear Ranch. And that's how they feel about you. I couldn't make them feel that way. Yeah. And I'm super appreciative of that, but that's not the intent of our podcast, but I wanted to make sure I told you that. And now it's memorialized for eternity. So if you ever say to me, dad, you never told me you were proud of me. I'll play this back because I am. And I, and hopefully I've done a reasonably good job of letting you know that. Um, so working in the outdoor industry for me was a pinnacle goal and objective. Like it really was like I was writing articles while for the outdoor magazines, while I was working as a benefits consultant and trying to figure out how I was going to make enough money to pay for a wife and a kid and a dog and a house. Like I would did what I had to do so I could do what I wanted to do. Um, and it never was like, I didn't orchestrate a plan. Like I had no plan. I honestly, up until I was in 11th grade, thought I was going to be a plumber and I, and I don't say that like it's a bad thing. Like it's an honorable profession. My father was a plumber. My uncle was a, pr a plumber and my grandfather was a plumber. That's a lot of people that are worrying about, you know, a quarter inch of fall per foot and don't bite your nails and pay days on Friday. And so that was the life that I was going to go live because it seemed like my uncle did pretty well. My grandfather did okay. And my dad did all right. And, um, and something happened in between and, and like my life took a totally different angle and totally different turn. And I've always felt a tremendous gratitude that I get to do this. Like that's how I've always felt. And to see your kids like that second generation come along behind and my niece, um, and my daughter's boyfriend, like right now, this is the biggest nepotism podcast in the history of podcasts. I was going to say that, but I didn't know if that was appropriate. No, it's, it's just the truth. It's a convenient truth. But, um, you know, I, I sit back and watch you guys sometimes. And I think to myself, like I was 24 when I got hired at Hoyt and I look at everybody and I'm like, wait a minute, Megan's 21, right? You're 27? 26. Until October. Until October. And then Nick is 28. Mm -hmm. 
And when I think about myself in that context, I go, in a way, I like, I don't mean to take credit for what you guys are doing. I'm not going to, but I paved the path mm-hmm. and that path is allowed other people to come in behind me. And I remember being at Easton and Jim Easton saying, well, you got to reach back and pull people up. Like we're doing that with you. And he did like Jim Easton, Randy walk, Eric Watts gave a dumb kid an opportunity that he didn't deserve. And every day I was there, I felt like was probably on my last day, mm-hmm. like pretty sure they were going to figure out. I had no idea what I was doing. And, you know, one day it was seven years later, but literally that level of insecurity, because I had never seen anybody mm-hmm. do what I was doing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like my paradigm was, wholly different. And one of the things that I guess I would say is that if I have a legacy to live, leave behind, it's that I blazed a trail that my kids could watch and see that you can do what you love to do and get paid for it. Like you don't have to take a job and be miserable. And I look at all three of my daughters and my stepson, and I think that's um, reflective of the way they live their life. I'd like to I'd like to say that I had some small level of influence in that way. I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm just going to take it. (laughs) I'm offering it up for myself. Um, But it brings me a lot of joy because I think that the turning point for you, if, and I want you to tell me if this is right or wrong, Madison, your turning point was when we went to Arizona and did the conservation project. Isn't that where it clicked in your brain? I would say yes. Just tell me a little bit about that experience for you and how it felt. Um, well, I had never, I didn't even know that was like a thing. Well, describe what that is first, because um, I'm talking to you about something we know they don't. Okay. A sheep transplant. With who? Um, Conservation Direct. Which and, is? Um, Koo you. Yeah. Okay. Um, I feel like we're being videotaped, so I'm just like, yeah, duh. Um, but basically, you know, capturing sheep. Make, like making checking their health and making sure they're healthy and tagging them and then relocating them to like help you know grow in hopes of growing the population and I didn't really know that that was I didn't know people did that I didn't really know that was a thing ignorance on my part I guess but having the opportunity to go see it definitely made me understand the other aspect of I guess hunting or like loving the outdoors which was interesting or meeting people under like seeing why they love to do it why they did it was also pretty cool um isn't it amazing that the people who love to hunt are the most passionate people about making sure there are things left to hunt yeah it's almost counterintuitive it's like well wait a minute you're the consumer of this object or this being And now you're saying that you're making sure that there's more out there. Well, it's, I feel like it would be like similar to like protecting parks that you like to hike in. Like as long as you're not doing it, then you can't hike in those parks anymore. And if you're not, you know, protecting the wildlife that you want to hunt, then you can't hunt it anymore. And I think that's where like some people, people that don't understand conservation are people that usually hate on hunters, I feel like. because It's ignorance. Yeah, they don't see the whole picture. And it, I never had anything against hunting. I just never did it. But it definitely gave me a new appreciation for it. Um, and we're talking a lot because this is a vein of conversation that I'm interested in. But I'm going to get you guys back involved here in a second. So don't fall asleep yet. <laughs> okay. I, I'm refreshed. Madison is like the entire 
a population of people who've never hunted, who's made the conversion. Yeah. And that's a rare opportunity because not only did you not hunt, but you, you kind of referred to it as being redneck. Is that a fair statement? <laughs> I thought it was hillbilly shit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so you were the antithesis of a hunter outdoors person. Did you like to get dirty and be outside? No, like I like to go to brunch and <laughs> shop. And, and so... Um, if given the opportunity to go to brunch or on a ridiculously good elk hunt, what would you do? I would probably choose the elk hunt because, like, there's only so many things you can talk about at brunch. Interesting. So making memories, not discussing yeah. them. Yeah. Right. You know, I think that your generation, again, and this isn't me wagging my finger at younger people. No. It's not at all. But when you're young, what you don't realize is the importance of all the memories that you build when you're young yeah. that you can relive when you're older. Yeah. And one of the anom like one of the things in my life that's been a more of a guiding factor than I think I was re I realized it was as a young person was that the fact that my grandfather had health issues. Mm -hmm. And he had both legs amputated below the knees in his early 60s. And he was done being an active participant in any real, you know, athletic or outdoor experiences because his health wouldn't allow it. He had a heart attack in his early 40s. Yeah. He was a, a diabetic, type 1, I think, but at least type 2 diabetic um, and had some real circulatory and rheumatoid rheumatoid arthritis. So his, the age of retirement for him was non-existent as far as being able to go out and do the things he had always dreamed of. Yeah. And he always said to me, don't wait, go do it. Yeah. Like you, you like go live your life in, in, in pursuit of joy. Yeah. And that probably had a bigger effect on me than I've ever realized. Now that I'm older, I realize like, cause my wife um, will say things to me like, well, what's your hurry? Like always, because I'm always in a hurry. Like whatever it is I'm doing is the most important shit. Nick, do you feel that? Do you do that? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe that's guy speak. I don't know. But like I was laser focused on, I was going to, I always said as a young person, I'm going to crash my dragster across the finish line. Mm -hmm. Like wheels coming off, engine blown, transmission's gone, nothing left in the tank, done. Like the day I die, I will have no regrets about the things that I didn't attempt to do. Mm -hmm. And like that carelessness and absolute focus on doing something that I thought was cool mm -hmm. and fun was it it preempted wise decisions at times. Like I had three kids and I left corporate America to go pursue my own business, which was super risky. And for some reason that made sense to me and nobody else <laughs> thought it was a good idea. And actually that business turned out to be a bad idea. Right. So, um, but man, like the benefits and the rewards now are so amazing. Like I see two of my four kids work in our, in our business in some capacity. My niece works in our business and my daughter's uh, boyfriend works in our business. And we have, I would say a rather unique environment because of that. We, we all see the world a very similar, from a similar slant Yeah, and our, and our objectives are similar. We're going to have fun. We have a saying. 
right? What are the three rules of working in our organization? Do you remember them? We have three rules. Anybody, anybody. It's like, it's like something like love who you're working with, have fun and work hard, but it has to be in those order. The like in last that one's order. actually very close. And I'm proud of you for that because you were the closest. <laughs> Meg dug it out. Yeehaw, everyone. You can tell who has spent the most time in recent years in totality. Madison, how long have you been with us? Is it two years? Yeah. I think it is two years. And my niece started with us when she was 18 and she's 21. So three years. Mm -hmm. And this is your fourth season, correct? Yeah. Okay. So um, our rules of how we do business at Strike Group are we work with people we like, we have fun, and we make money. And the last one's always last. You can't get the order screwed up because it screws everything up. And I have screwed that up a lot. That's why I'm so cognizant of it now. Money and making a lot was a very big part of my focus. What I've figured out is if you're doing what you love with people that you enjoy being around and you're having fun doing it, the money will come. It'll absolutely be a side effect. It, it's never the objective. When you target money first, I promise you, you will live an empty life. Money's money's not everything, but yeah. it sure makes it a lot easier. It does make things fun. <laughs> yeah, it can help. It makes it less stressful, not fun, right? Well, yeah, but things are more fun when you're not stressed. Uh, amen. So. Yep. So, Megan. We're bringing you back and slide that over because Nick's coming up next. We have two people sharing one mic, but, you know, they're boyfriend and girlfriend. They'll get over it. (laughs) Uh, Megan, (laughs) so you're now the assistant wrangler. Is that the right position? I just made that up. You know, something like that. Yeah, You don't really care about titles. You care about duties. Facts. Yeah. Yeah. So um, where do you go from here? What do you mean? <laughs> you mean like, I thought that you'd say that. And you really mean it. Like yeah. you have Like peaked. you mean like from here, the office? Like no, for later no, no, today? No, 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 Like from a career perspective. Like oh, in, like oh, in uh, oh. 10 years. Uh, hopefully I'm doing the same exact thing. I love that for you. And, and would you say this is an accurate statement? So many of the people who meet you are trying to coach you. Absolutely. You know, people are always like, what are you doing in 10 years? And I'm like, Hopefully riding horses up and down the South Fork. And they're like, no, no, no. What do you want to do when you're 31? I'm like, hopefully riding horses up and down the South Fork. You found your place. Absolutely. Is that your tribe? Yeah. How could it be better? If I could live there all year, if I never had to leave. (laughs) So this whole idea of Spotted Bear South is intriguing. No. No. There's no horses. Yeah. I just want to like stay you know, up the South Fork like all for year the round. Winter? Yeah, for the winter. By yourself. With my dog. You oh. know. So you are a mountain woman. Yeah. Wow. I love that for you. <laughs> that sounds like I would have Tourette's in about three days. <laughs> yeah. You know, I actually stayed for like almost an extra month this past year. This past, you know, I was there for the fall and it was awesome. No one was there. People would like stop in every once in a while. And I was just by myself. And it was probably like the most fun I've ever had. You enjoy your own company. I do. And what is it that you like most about yourself? Ooh, that's a deep Um, one. 
Probably that I just do whatever I want. <laughs> you do whatever you want. Now that's yeah. not no, entirely okay. no, no, true. No. I do. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like do what makes me happy. There you go. That I agree with. And you have a really deep understanding of what brings you joy. Absolutely. Give me the top three things that bring joy to your life. Uh, my relationship with God, like going to church and all that kind of stuff. Um, riding horses and working out are the three things that make me the happiest. Sweet. What about your dog? Well, my dog, yeah. <laughs> Okie pokey. Got to throw her in there. So just hanging out with your creatures yeah. would be number two. Yeah. Horse, like animals. dog, whatever. Yeah. Actually, wouldn't you be able to, couldn't someone make the argument that the people that you work with are also creatures? Yeah. <laughs> A little bit feral. <laughs> A little feral. Yeah. yeah. And it's an endearing quality because yeah. they're all like you. They're I very good. I might be good. leading the pack. Yeah. Yeah. You're pretty feral when you're at Spotted Bear. I, I like to say I'm like backcountry bougie. Nice. Like, you know, the winter months. I like Sometimes that. I like kind of clean up nice and then, then it, you all, don't. it all, yeah. It all goes to hell. In the, in the summers, yeah. yeah. So um, you have spent this off season doing a, a variety of jobs. Yeah. Um, take us through the jobs that you've done. Um, I was doing a little bit of cowboying for like the first couple few months there. Where were you doing that at? In Rangeley, Colorado. Okay. Super cool place there. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's literally referred by the people of Colorado as strangely. Strangely. But you love the horses the, and the riding cows. the country and the cows yeah. and the whole thing. Yeah, it's super fun. So I was there for a little while. And then I met you in Denver for Christmas. And then I just never went back. Um so I've, I've been here in Bozeman since December. And what have you been doing? A whole bunch of stuff. Just you know? anything and everything. Everything, yeah. I've been traveling a bunch, hang out with Trish, like work out. Yeah. Shows? Yeah. Yeah. Being let's, some shows. let's talk about that. That's that's a function you've performed. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So you've done some shows. Well, explain to me what you've been doing. I go with our coffee. It's super Wild good. Wild Society? Yeah, with Wild Society. Mm -hmm. Set up a little booth in the Kuyu booth, which has been super fun. And kind of just hand out coffee to people. Okay. Um, do you like doing that? Um, it definitely like puts me out of my comfort zone. Being in front of all the people. Yeah, like having to talk to people. And when you were doing that, you were working the Wild Society booth within the Kuyu atmosphere at their shows, right? Yes. So you did Nashville for, what was that show? SCI. Okay. Safari Club International. And then you did the Western Hunt Expo in Salt Lake. Yep. Now they're the two shows that you did, right? Yeah. Did you do anything else? No. You come here and help whenever we ask you to. Yeah. Um. So we know that you have a great plan for your summers. Yeah. Okay. Um, pretty difficult to make a living in the South Fork in the winter. Yeah. So what but you're that? also not spending money. So if I would live there, I'd be good you, to go. You, um, there was a book that came out like in my late teens, early twenties. I don't exactly remember when it came out. It was called The Millionaire Next Door, and the premise of the book was. This author had done a study on millionaires at the time, which a millionaire now is like, I don't think that's anything. I mean, that's like 
I mean, it's still a lot of money. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of millionaires probably don't even realize they're millionaires in, in today's world. Your house appreciates in this late, latest housing boom, you know, by 20% a year uh, in some areas, and you could be a millionaire and not even realize it. But at that time, a million was a lot of more money than it is today. That was in the 80s and or early 90s. But anyway... The the concept was is that he had done a study of all these people that had a net worth of around a million dollars and what similar habits they all had. And a lot of people assumed that it was because they made a lot of money. But the truth was the difference between being a millionaire was that you weren't a member of the country club. Because you didn't spend the money on that stuff. You didn't have the, you know, European car. You didn't have all the, it was about how much you retained and saved. And he started out the book thinking that the research was going to bear out that was occupation, skill sets, personality type. And it was like, no, these people live beneath their means. They literally are just better at saving. And you look at that and you go, that's very much in line with what you just said. It's like, I could, I could make whatever you make for the summer and then I could keep all of it because I wouldn't need any money because I could live all winter for free off the land and out there in the wilderness. And I could study the Bible or, you know, whatever it is you do when you're all by yourself, hanging out, talking to yourself, I guess. <laughs> um, but you just wouldn't spend any money. Yeah. So it's like you saved money yeah. because you didn't spend it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, let me explain something to you as your uncle in difference to the podcast host that we're playing right now is as your uncle, you need to turn your off season into a revenue positive. Okay. It's not yeah. regative. It's not going to be revenue and expense neutral. That's not the objective. <laughs> Because here's something else, and this comes out of what you like to do a lot, and you're really authentically um, have always been, like even from the time you were little, so good at it, is you live your faith, right? Yeah. And But in the Bible, and I won't try to cite a, 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 a passage because I'm not good at remembering them all, but I know that I've read this a bunch, is that God's given you gifts, and your responsibility is to use those gifts to shine a light on him. Isn't that difficult when you're living in the woods where no one can see or hear from you? Yeah, I wouldn't argue that. Okay. <laughs> so I would challenge you to start to contemplate what you're going to do when you're not doing what you love to do to shine a light with these gifts that he's given you. Because you have real gifts. Like, I don't know anybody that's met you and didn't think that you were the, one of the most pleasant people they've ever been around. That's a fair statement, right? So you have to start to account for that so that you can become consciously competent, understanding who you really are and what your unique skill sets are and the gifts that God gave you will allow you then to take them on and share them with the rest of the world. And Megan, I want to say this to you, like you have a lot of that and you have a lot to share. And one day you're going to wake up and realize it and realize that your superpower is the fact that you live very authentically and that you could affect a lot of people positively by showing them how you do it. Yeah. Because I will be honest. Yes, you work with us, right? Mm -hmm. I learn way more from you than you have ever learned from me. I don't think that's true. Oh, it is. I watch the way you live 
and I I have a deep and abiding respect for it. It inspires me. Thank you. Yeah. And it's just being honest with you. Like you're pretty amazing as a human being at 21 years old to not care about stuff that really doesn't matter. Right. Like, haven't we all learned the hard way? Like, don't sweat small stuff. Like who gives a shit what car you drove in on? Like in the grand scheme of things, no one really cares. No one cares about you. They're too busy thinking about who? Themselves. That's the real world. So buying things to impress other people is a, is an absolute exercise in futility because no one get no one cares at all unless you're going to give it to them. So what can you do with the other nine months out of the year that would make your you know relationship with God a happier one? That, I think, is what your challenge is. Yeah. Would you agree with that? I would agree. Yeah. Okay. So we are doing this podcast today. Chapter two comes in a couple of weeks. And you're going to come back with the answer for that. Oh. <laughs> okay. You got, you got homework. <laughs> homework. Right? Okay. Nick. So you stumble fucked your way into a great gig and you're good at it. <laughs> I think that's what we were kind of beating around the bush at. But you were also very successful in your endeavors in school, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you have some real people skills. Yeah. I mean I did I did financial sales for two years after I graduated from Montana State here in Bozeman. Um, like JP Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs, where were we at? Uh I was at a Basically, an independent marketing organization that was we were wholesaling different retirement products. Um, Did you love it? No, I mean it was fun. It was got to got to do some really cool things. Got to learn a lot. But it was it was exactly how we touched on earlier. It was the cubicle life, um, smiling, dialing, headset wearing. You know, collar shirt every day. Sometimes Is that a tie. Where the picture that you have on the yeah uh, the strike group website came from, where you look like a Mormon missionary. Mormon yeah, missionary. I'm just missing the bicycle no helmet. to Mormon missionaries because I have a lot of friends that are Mormon and they're awesome. But yeah, they definitely wear the blue suit, the white shirt, and the red tie. It's and a they pink have a tie. Big red got a shiny flare. face in their pictures. <laughs> Elder Bush and Elder Barry, and now we have Elder Ramberg. Yeah, yeah. No mustache. No, no, no party in the back. In that, uh, you know, hey, you're rocking a handlebar mustache and a mullet today. Yeah. Well, that, I haven't for a few years. So that I is mean, is there a lot of people that are rocking the you know business up front and the party in the back in the financial services industry? Um, Jordan Belfort did it one time, I think. The people that are. <laughs> aren't really worried about what people think because their balance sheet looks pretty good. Um, I would say so. I'm no, there's not many people, but, um, you know, that, I guess I kind of, that look got inspired when I left Bozeman in 2019 and on a one way ticket to New Zealand, um, living down under and, uh, that's Australia. First of all, well, I mean, I was in Australia too, but you know, I, <laughs> I mean, you know, still on the other side of the world. Um, a lot of, yeah, a lot of mullets down there in uh, each so other country. Were, when you were doing the New Zealand thing, um, your intent for going there was what? Um, I was going on a one-year working holiday visa. So I was going to – left October of 2019, was going to come back October 2020. Um, you know, was like, boom, be back. Um, before the end of the year, this would be great. Uh, you know, get get to see all twelve months in New Zealand, um, and then the little bit I was able, 
to go to Australia. I think the were you there for COVID? Yeah, so everything changed come actually my birthday. So end of March of 2020, everything changed. But um, when I went down there, I was actually had a gig lined up to go work on a, a station. So a small, you know, what they consider a small ranch down there. Um, and I had done that in college, ranched all through college in the summers and was like, oh, this would be great. And then they had cattle, they had sheep, but I didn't know I'd have to be riding English. Uh, for a big boy like me, English is not fun. My knees aren't supposed to be to my ears when you ride a horse. Um, so that wasn't too fun. Uh, did that, you know, did a bunch of different other things. Uh, but yeah, COVID hit, got stuck in a, in a lockdown. It actually was, everyone talks about how their lockdown experience was. Mine was pretty awesome. You were in New Zealand. I was in New Zealand and I was living with one of my buddies who used to be an Italian chef in Toronto, Canada, um, but he's from Albania. So we had the Albanian with the Toronto Italian kind of influence. So it was, we had cooking class like every night. Um, we Once we were allowed to, we'd go surf in the morning and then cook at night. And so picked up a few tricks of the trade, ate really good food all through lockdown, uh, drank some fancy wine for sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, it was good. Um, I had a great time with how that. Did, how did that experience change you as a person? When you came back, were you the same guy that left? Um, no, I wouldn't. I was. I wouldn't say so. I would. Yeah. No, I was definitely not. Um, you know, I was down there almost two years. Didn't see you know any of my family for for two years. So I think that in turn kind of made me closer with my family because I had you know missed them obviously um, for being gone that long. Um, but you know, definitely felt more mature. Um, was kind of ready and knew that I wanted to do something with meaning and really enjoyed being outdoors. Um, uh, my mom watches this. She's going to be pissed how many times I'm saying, um, so, uh, and I go again, but yeah, all these filler words, she's probably counting on her fingers watching, listen to this. Is she the grammar Nazi in your family? Um, again, <laughs> She taught me better, I would say, for sure. She used to, you know, would count on her fingers when I would use filler words. So normally I have a lot better than this, especially when I'm doing stand-up. Don't, don't say, um. Uh, yeah, we're we're going to get to that because that's also an important component. That is another one of the things about you that um, I find terribly interesting. Um, when you have daughters, you know that you're going to meet boys, okay? <laughs> and... I would be a absolute liar if I told you that I enjoyed the process because it's hard to watch. It's like watching a baby calf try to walk for the first time. And you're just like, God bless. How freaking hard is it? One foot in front of the other. And they just make so many dumb decisions. And then one day you wake up and you're like, wow, like my oldest daughter has a husband that I really like. He's a great dude. Who happens to be your fraternity brother, correct? Yep, 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 correct. Which is how you met Madison, was sort of through that relationship with Chuck and Elena, correct? Yep. That, yeah, my, old, my oldest and her, and her husband. And now I have, like, another buddy that I get to hang out with that I like. And, well, I, you're 
perspective doesn't matter because this is how <laughs> I feel. <laughs> You're stuck with me, bub. That's the way it works. But no, I like I I feel that way. Like in in trueness, like there's a gratitude that you get to have when you start to see your daughters start to find the right kind of people to add to their lives. Like, and my niece, she's 21 and single, and she's got a lot of. Like we went down to the Western Hunt Expo and every time I'd walk away from the booth, it was on purpose because I just loved to see who was going to be there when I got back. <laughs> and it was the same cast of characters every time. Taylor, if you're out there and you're listening, no. I noticed. I just want you to know that. I noticed. <laughs> Matt, tell your boy, make sure he watches his P's and Q's. That's my niece. Um, so anyway, like that, that was a pretty funny thing for me. And what's really funny about it is that Megan is so laser focused on the things that bring her happiness that she really doesn't even acknowledge that that's going on. She doesn't want to. So she therefore doesn't even hear it. And I'm like, so how's Taylor going again? He's going to hear this, but she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I guess good. I don't know. He lives in Texas and works for Kuyu. I don't know. What does that affect me? Like, did he send you a text? He did. Yes, he did. And did you enjoy getting that text? I did. And have you been in conversation via text with Taylor? (laughs) Yeah. That's called a pin job on the podcast. (laughs) You are so good in some ways and so unaware in others. And for the record, I think Taylor's a great kid. I don't know him real well, but everything that I got to know about him, I think he's a great, he's a great kid, great young man. I do know this, his friend, Matt, who works with us as our cinematographer, videographer, uh, photographer, extraordinaire, very talented guy, is probably one of the top human beings I've ever met. He's just good people. And if he has Taylor as a friend, Taylor's got to be a great dude, right? Yeah. So, um Anyway, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I know you and Taylor aren't dating or anything like that. And Taylor, if you have a girlfriend and she finds out about it, well, tough shit. You shouldn't have been talking to Megan. And you should definitely not have been sending her a text. <laughs> um, I hope he gets real uncomfortable when he hears this. I hope he's as red as Megan is right now. <laughs> yeah, Megan is really red-faced right now. It's good. I, I just dimed her out. It's what I do. Um, but I, I will say this. Like... What you, what life is really about, and I know that we're not here to have a deep dive on what life's about, but we're going to say this. It's going to be short and sweet, I promise. What life is about is collecting people that you like to be around, that reflect your morality and your core values, and that are always rooting for you. And when you collect those people, you don't let them out of your life. And they bring you way more than they'll ever take. And if you are paying attention, you see it real obvious. I've not always been so good at that. Like, I want to help everybody. I like doing that. I feel like I've been blessed beyond measure. And if I can be a blessing, I'll be one. But it's also allowed certain people to take advantage. And you know what? It used to be about like wanting to get get even. It's not anymore. It's a loss that they suffer because they don't get to be a part of this atmosphere, about this environment. And I think if you're here, you're blessed because we all care about each other a lot. Um, and we we do cheer each other on. We do root for one another. And I, and I love that. And part of it's family. I mean, we have a family 
a little mini empire, right? <laughs> we have a little mini family empire. It's certainly not the biggest one out there, but it's not the worst one either. And it's ours and we love it. And we get to do this together and it's super fun for me. And I'm really proud of the people that I get to work with. Um, and not the least of which is my niece. I, I love her to death and, and know she loves me too. She'd do anything for me. Um, but Nick, you're up next. I got I got a hard question for you. Oh no! This is going to be a good. I want a really thoughtful answer, not a funny one, because you get nervous and go funny. No, I don't know. I, I want nervous, straight. I just go for it. If you at 28 were having a conversation with the 21 year old version of yourself, what would you like to tell him? <clears throat> Ooh. Oh, let's see. Let's see how deep and emotionally uh, mature Nick is now. Let's go, Nikki. Get it, son. I set you up. Spike it. Uh, okay. <laughs> I would say if I was, you know, talking to myself, I would say, you know, do everything you can. Experience it. Live it. Um, never say no to an opportunity and never say no to an experience. And, you know, all gas, no brakes, kind of just get. I like that. That is me. And all I gas, no brakes. Yeah. And I think, you know, everything works out. Everything works out in the end. Um, you know, hard work rises to the top. Um, and, yeah, I think, you know, the networking, you know, meet everyone you can interact with keep those relationships you know yeah i would say yeah i would basically just say you know keep your head down keep going don't what beats be, hard work yeah what beats no, hard work not i mean nothing 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 beats it and and that's one of the things about the sigma chi yeah so, okay yeah like i feel overrun by you fuckers <laughs> <laughs> We yeah. got wheels, we got Charles, and we got you. And then in close in close orbit, Colt, Colton and Trevor are there too. I certainly yeah. know them. Yeah. And Riley. And Riley, who I yeah. think is just a great kid, although he's always fucking late. <laughs> late. Um, and I'm kidding. But the Sigma Chi's, they have like – it's changed the way I, I view fraternities and sororities because I was in college and I thought it was bullshit. Like, I'm like, why would anybody let anybody else tell them what they were going to wear, what parties they were going to attend, how they could behave? Like, that is the – that one of the dogs is outside the door sniffing for sure. But, <laughs> like, I, I didn't get that part of it. But what I have figured out is, like – like-minded people gathered together. They're all a bunch of really good young men, like almost Renaissance men. And the fact that they work really hard and they have high integrity, like my son-in-law, Charles, like he's feral. I've told him, I mean, it's just <laughs> the way it is. He's, he was raised by wolves, man. That kid is unbelievable, but you won't meet a harder working, more caring and thoughtful human being in the world. And if you were looking for someone to have as a great friend, like that dude is the guy. He would show up. He would show up if it was damn near impossible. He'd still find a way. Yeah, I and, agree. And I think that's true of all of you guys, especially for one another. 
Like, you guys are tight. Even though you argue and fight like brothers and you all have shit talk that you do with each other, at the end of the day, it's all good until one somebody else tries to pick on one of those boys. Mm-hmm. And then they got the whole weight of the whole group. And I think, yeah, even now, you know, post-grad, post-fraternity house, as much as it was like a competition between each other when we were in school for certain things, it almost is like the competition's still there. It's like who's... It's like doing the best. Yeah, competing against who's excelling at each of their fields. Um, You know, if that's everyone's kind of taking different paths and um, stuck to their their fields. And I think it's been, yeah, I mean, yeah, we're all still close. We all still get together at least once a year and all that. So I think that, um, yeah, and I I think now I would say. With our, my generation, our generation, it's a little different. Um, you know, when I look to like my parents' age and stuff, it was hard to, harder to keep up with folks, you know. Um, social media is definitely made Yeah, social media and, and the cell phone have, and you know, you got LinkedIn or, you, you know, you got all those other apps and social media platforms to, to are basically. You a big, are you a big TikToker? No, I don't say. I wouldn't say so. Madison is. Are you an Insta? What would be your most frequently visited social media site? Are you a big Facebook guy? No, I would say probably. BFMR. <laughs> I would be Instagram probably. Yeah, I, Instagram. You Instagram. Scroll a good bit on the TikTok. <laughs> but um, yeah, I would say. But yeah, I think just being able to. To, to stay close with each other now in this day and age, not having to like write letters or, you know, trying to figure out whose phone number changed when you move because it's a landline. And, um, you know, I think that is. Has it made it hyper competitive, though? Like, aren't we all watching the yeah. social media versions of ourselves? Yeah. And people are trying to project like what they think everybody else is going to think is cool, whether it's what you ate for dinner. I mean, I don't get it. I don't do that. But like what I ate for dinner last night, where I traveled to, what car I'm driving. It's like, I don't know. Everybody's trying to project some image. And it's not just people who are trying to be influencers. It's just like soccer moms and, you know, dudes that are out there just like wanting the world like feel compelled to share every aspect of their life good and bad and but it's it's intentionality like if i think if you boiled it down it's like there's a competitive component to it it's like showing off yeah yeah for sure i i would i would definitely say so you know Um, what social media was called when i was in school show and tell Like, real. It literally was show and tell. You got to stand up there and tell everybody how cool your life was for a week or a weekend or for the summer or whatever it was. Yeah, what's the coolest thing you did this summer? And now everybody's doing show and tell every day on social media. And some people should not show and tell so much. Like, there's (laughs) some people out there that really need to learn about what's called a secret. Um, Nick, like, you work at Polymer 80 in sales. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a big stretch to realize that like things have gotten a little bumpy over there since the strike group's no longer there. Um, so tell me a little bit about what's going on at, at Polymer 80. Are you guys okay? And are you excited about the future? Dreading it? Where, where do we stand? Because the ATF's done raids and issued letters and you've been, you know, they've been bouncing in and out of courts. Where, where are things right now? Yeah, I think, the, um, you know, right now the sky's kind of the limit. Everyone's very excited and the future is very bright. And, you know, if 
I won't get into specifics or anything like that, but if you've followed any gun tubers or any of the, you know, FPC, GOA, any of those groups on their fights and some of the stuff we're doing ourselves and just followed any social media regarding, you know, 2A, notice that things are trending very well. And for, for Palmer 80, especially, you know, things are open back up and sales are a little easier than they were. Um, because you, you got at Palmer 80 got an injunction, temporary injunction yep. against the latest definition letter from the ATF mm -hmm. on what is considered a firearm yep. and, and got chastised. If I'm, if I'm going to like to read what the judge wrote, I'm not going to, it, it appears that he's really laying it on them about their overreach. Is that a fair statement, you think? Yeah, I, I would. I, in my opinion, yeah, I would, I would advise everyone to, you know, if they want their, to make their own opinion, to read the disclaimer, read the, read the judge's remarks and the, the court documents themselves. And, you know, don't well, take legal have, advice from myself. So. We're going to, we're going to take, we're going to have Lauren and Chase on the podcast here in the next week or two, because I think it's going to be an interesting one. I mean, it's been mm -hmm. a bit of a soap opera. Yeah. Um, and, and to no real fault of polymerase. That it, it would appear, at least from a layman's perspective, like they've been under attack, specifically Polymer 80 under attack from from the ATF and the Biden administration. Yeah, I, I would I would definitely agree. And I think with with knowing now that Lauren is going to be appearing, I don't want to steal any of his thunder because it's, you know, if anyone's story that it is to tell, it's his and it's his not alone. But I think he's the the great spokesperson for the struggle and the fight of Paul Brady and, um, you know, their recent success that allows business to go back to pseudo normal. One, one of the things that, um, observationally that I don't think Paul Brady has done a particularly good job of is humanizing the story because there's real human components to the story. Yeah. And if you don't know, you don't know. And man, I'm going to run the risk of upsetting somebody, but I'm, I don't think it'll upset him, but it could. And I'll ask him before I release this. But um, the executive vice president from Polymer 80 is Dan McCalman. Mm -hmm. And Dan has been waging a war against cancer, not just for himself, because he has it. And, it, and, it, and it's been a pretty invasive experience for him and life-changing for certain. And if anybody's going to survive it and beat it, it'll be Dan because he's got the faith and the intestinal fortitude to do it. Um, but he also has done that while his son is also fighting the same fight. Yep. And there, there's a human component to that story that I wish would get out. And again, I, I won't, I won't put this in the podcast if Dan's not comfortable with it, but when the government decides that they've changed their mind and it's not even the government, it's, it's literally one portion or one, one half of the government has decided that they are going to criminalize a company that's doing business legally. It has really far reaching effects on people who are really innocent in the entirety of that, uh, that battle of the narrative. And that is Dan because his life is dependent and certainly uh, a high level of importance put upon his health insurance. Yeah. 
Yeah. And when the government comes in here and starts turning them upside down and using tactics that are tyrannical, in my opinion, you haven't said that they're tyrannical. It's tyranny at its absolute crystal clear. They tried to criminalize a legally operating company and have damn near put it out of business with the fact that they've lawsuits and and uh, every town and Michael Bloomberg trying to take his personal agendas and make them institutionalized or sis- systemically components that we all have to deal with and understand our our constitution clearly protects our ability to manufacture our own firearms it's been that way from the beginning of the country and this is the first administration that has attempted to subvert the legislature while they pick on a particular company's business that was legal and is still legal by definition. And, and that is not my opinion. That is an opinion of a federal judge in Texas who chastised the ATF for what they've been doing. And it would be my recommendation to anyone who loves freedom and their freedoms guaranteed by the constitution that they absolutely get behind you and Lauren and everybody else over at Polymer 80, because you guys are literally the tip of the spear in fighting for constitutional rights because you're the ones that they attacked first. They tried to cut you from the herd, create this perception that you're different than everybody else and that everybody else should be okay with you guys getting destroyed or P80 being destroyed. Mm-hmm. And what I've been really excited and, and, um, not surprised by because this, the two A community is a strong one, and they they're strong because they're patriots. Like I remember reading something Trudeau from Canada wrote recently about conservatives, or he said about conservatives and conservatism is that they're uneducated, misogynistic racists that are taking up perfectly good space in their country, as in Canada. And I think that that's a pretty that would be pretty concerning to hear if I lived in Canada. Um, but it's not different than the progressive agenda here in our country. And I say all these things and you guys just like literally went blind on me. Like everybody starts staring off into space <laughs> because your generation doesn't understand the importance of every single person that you can get to align with you and the constitution and the law of the land that it promises you an eternity of an absence of tyranny. But if you lay down for it, no one's going to fight for you. You got to do it for yourselves. And that is part of the maturation process. When you're young, you're too busy trying to find your life mate and buy a house and make a living and start a career. And politics seem like noise. But the truth of the matter is, it's always the it's always that loud minority that influences the most. And I think we see that in a lot of like the woke culture today, right? Um, It's scary. So you guys are the woke culture though. I don't mean you personally, but I I mean you from the, that sounded like Merle. Is he out? Is he zipped in or out? He's zipped in. (laughs) Then it's somebody else. I don't know. We're running a podcast and evidently a doggy daycare, (laughs) but um and evidently the dogs want to come in. So without further ado. They lost interest. False alarm. But um, what what is it? If you're going to work in the outdoor industry for the rest of your career, let's call that 30 or 40 more years, right? 
into your 60s. By the time you guys are in your 60s, uh, Social Security probably be in your 70s. Um, and just for your information, it's not because you're going to live longer. Because actually, I think last year was the first year in some time that the uh, average age ex- life expectancy went down in the United States. So we're having to work longer. Die earlier. <laughs> and, die, and we're dying earlier. That means retirement's shorter. Yep. That's not good. That's not a good trend. So let me explain something to you. What most people are expecting to happen is that the government is going to solve that problem for them. And I will tell you this, in my experience and being 55, the government's never fixed anything. Um, no. I feel like living in a very woke place for a while. LA. Um, yeah. That's a, the epicenter. Yeah. Going to, going to a very woke school, fashion, art school in Los Angeles, and being in one of the richest places, and in a place that um, so, in quotations, desperately cares about, you know, helping people and minorities and whatever, um, but is also one of the poorest places, and the poorest people are the people of the minorities, um, seeing them sleep Keep going. sleep on the streets and in the apartments that they live in, and... Um, so I've always struggled with that because I know that there was a time. There's a hypocrisy about it, though. Like they look down their noses at us and and and, and I say us like me. I want to put you I won't lump you guys in. No. My, my hey, my generation lay down, lay down. You're the mascot. You're good. My generation was the last where we I, I, I don't know that this is true. I feel like it is, though. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say it and, and maybe I'll be wrong. We had we were tipped in the favor of there were more conservatives than there were pro- liberal progressives. Yeah. Okay, I don't like calling them progressives. That's a compliment. Yeah. Like they they really think that they're way out in front of us. And I was watching the Chris Rock, uh, the recent Chris Rock uh, comedy thing, and it was really well done in my opinion. I, I loved it. Nick and and Maddie did not, um, but you had to stick around to the end. It it got better and better and better. Yeah. But one of the things he said is that our company, our country is so he effed up right now that if the Russians invaded half the country would welcome them and say, Hey, give them a chance. Like, let's hear them out. And I thought about that and was like, well, that was profound. When I was growing up, if the Russians would have came here, we were making movies called Red Dawn. Yeah. Like everybody was rallied up. Like, let's go shoot them all. Propaganda. Right. And now it's like, well, you know, this uh, socialism thing. I mean, there's a there's a lot of room for that here. And I don't know, like I, I've talked with and traveled for a lot of years and I've been to all these places and, and I know these people and I can tell you who the biggest patriots are. It's people who've left socially so live left countries that are living in socialism and come here and they are is they're the most adamant against it. It's why our forefathers were against it. And I I think rediscovering that passion for freedom and self-governance is an important component that your generation, unlike anyone probably since the Revolutionary War, Mm -hmm. it's going to be incumbent upon fighting for your rights. Because I want you to think about this. The people who are asking for gun control are literally begging and voting to have their freedoms removed. That has never, 
been a part of the American experience. Well, and I guess you allow the government to take one right away and then comes all the other ones. And so what would be the first one you'd take if you wanted to take them all? What right would you take away? The thing away? that helps you protect yourself is the... The Second and, Amendment. Yeah. Right. And that one is under full attack because you have crazy people doing crazy things. Well, and I think the, the major theme of it all is that maybe not necessarily... Um, I think a lot of it is... I could be completely wrong. I think mental health needs to be more of the... The focus. The focus, because, it, yeah, a weapon is a weapon, and it was designed to do something that's irreversible, um, but the person that's controlling that is really what the problem is, I personally think, and like anything else that you make illegal, the wrong person is always going to get their hands on it, so I would rather be allowed to have them, because no matter what... A felon that's not allowed to have a firearm is still going to find a way to get a firearm if they want one. And I'd rather be able to protect myself from that person. And I think that's where I don't think people always think of it how do that you, way. How does your generation talk about those things to your generation? Um, I think I, I, they don't. Um, because I know that out, out of my group of friends, I'm definitely like the black sheep. I don't have a lot of friends that have similar views as I do. And I think sometimes when I do talk about my views... It throws them for a loop because they've definitely changed as I've gotten older. And you can say that's influence. I like to say that I've just educated myself a little bit more. You, you, people would suggest, let's be specific. Yes. Victoria would say <laughs> that, that you've been influenced by your, your father. father. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I, I don't know. Majority of my friends think. How does Sailor escape that? Because he, he likes to hunt, he likes guns, and he thinks he believes in the Second Amendment. Hasn't he been an influence in your life as well? I I would say yeah. And I think the only thing that could set my mother aside would be I don't think she's like a current day, like what you would consider like a liberal. I think that if you really no, look at she's, her, she's she's more middle. She's in the middle and L leans left, but is in the yes, middle. Yes, but she's also a teacher, so I like sometimes I have to grant her some sort of yeah. Because she is, and that's what she does for a living. And a really good one. Yeah, but I think more so it's like my friends and the people that are similar age group as me. We live very different lives. We Majority of my friends all stayed where we grew up, and I think a lot of their political views are learned. I'm going to piss the majority of them off when I say this. I, I don't think they're, like, out educating they're themselves. I think that they're watching – and the news outlet that whatever their parent is watching or they're listening to TikToks and Instagram and they just hear about all the awful shit that goes on instead of getting down to like why things happen. And I don't know, I guess that's more just my viewpoint on that. I also think, I don't know, I, I don't know. I think people are just ignorant and I think... People think that taking one thing away is just going to solve a problem when really, I don't think that's not the answer. So, um, That's interesting. I, I have this foundational belief that when you educate people on the truth, the full spectrum of truth, and they form an opinion, then whatever that is, is that I can respect that. Yeah. And, I, and certainly, um, we all know people that are influenced by uh, pre-selected and certainly 
curated truths. How's that? I yeah. think that's the thing that your generation has to deal with that mine didn't. Well, our our news anchors, you wouldn't know whether they were left or right. Well, yeah, and I think that's part of. I think the thing that bothers me the most is the the fact that everybody's allowed to have an opinion has been taken away. Like I don't because my opinion is different. I a lot of the time don't share my opinion because mm. I feel like I'm going to be like stoned to death or something just because I think differently than somebody. That's interesting because um, every single human being is confronted with that at some time or another in their life, yeah. right? It's like the saying is if you stand for, you either stand for something or you stand for nothing. Yeah. Right. And so there's another saying I like, it kind of fits in there is like, don't die on every beach. Like, yeah. like what things are really worth fighting for? Yeah. I can't possibly comprehend anything more important than defending the constitution because at some point in time, you're going to leave this country. Like I'm going to leave it to the next generation. Yeah. You're going to, and you will be judged on what you leave. Yeah. So that means evangelizing the message is in is imperative. Yeah. And I I like talking about um, Christianity as not only the big part of my life, but it it's also the greatest marketing campaign ever launched in human in the human <laughs> dynamic. It factually is. Yeah. Like what what other single human thing has affected so many people? If if not Christianity, what would it be? I don't know. And how did it start? He didn't have a Super Bowl ad. Come follow me and we can walk across the water of Galilee together. That never happened. Like there wasn't some cute commercial on the Super Bowl that people are like, you know what? I think I'll give this church thing a try. <laughs> that sounds great. No, he found 12 people. And really, it was only 11 because one of them was an asshole. Right. <laughs> he found 12 people to ride for the brand. Yeah. And everything came from that. Yes, he was giving the truth. Yes, he was giving a living example. Yes, all those things. Yeah. So if you are young in the world today and you have educated yourself, what is your responsibility? Um, to find a way to, to help people yeah. seek the truth. Not emotionalism. No. Like sexual, sexualizing our children, right? I never don't, agree with that. Never. But would your mother? No. No, she wouldn't. She's a liberal. She's a lefty. No. But she's, I'm certain of it. I don't know her. But no, I don't I would, think I that's something her. she would have as an agenda. No. Like, should we be talking about that in school? No. no. But. To get back to the point of the matter, because Nick's getting uncomfortable now. I like doing this stuff. This podcast is a ramble. It's It gets to be whatever we want it to be. Well, that is not the point of these things. Yes, though. it's long form. Like, you can talk about whatever you want for as long as you want to, and people can listen or not. And I'm cool with that, yeah. 100%. But don't tune in if you think I'm just going to say what you want to hear. Well, no, There's a truth. Well, that's the other thing. I feel like... <clears throat> And when I do share my opinions with my friends and they don't, they're like, well, how could you think that way? That's, I feel like when I kind of just shut it off, I'm like, okay, well, I'm not forcing you to think that way, but that's my opinion. Yeah. And if you don't want to stay tuned to listen, then leave. Like, but I'm not, just because you don't agree with me doesn't mean I'm going to change. And it doesn't mean you're wrong. No, because I, you can think what you want 
And I'm never going to sit here and tell you why you're wrong for thinking that way. I just, I simply just don't agree with it. And that's completely fine. We can agree to disagree. But I don't like when people have an opinion and they're trying to, like, force you to. I've seen it coming from the right in my lifetime. So when I was a kid, um, Jimmy Carter was like the first president I'll say that I remember. Mm -hmm. I mean, I certainly remember Gerald Ford, but I don't really remember his policies. I don't remember the economy under Gerald Ford, you know, but I did under Jimmy Carter and everybody was lined up in lines to get gas and interest rates were 18, 19, 20%. And the economy was a shit mess. And we were laughing stock of the world and the Iranian uh, knuckleheads captured a bunch of our people in the embassy and had them as hostage. And like he was trying to find a nice way to ask for them back. And Ronald Reagan got elected. And during the Reagan years, that was when drugs in this country really started to take off. For whatever reason, I'm sure there's a lot of socioeconomics behind it. But regardless, they they came up with this easy answer. We're just going to eliminate all the drugs and then no one can do it anymore. It was like, wow, what a novel idea. We should do that with guns. No one would get shot. And what has happened to drugs since Just Say No and the War on Drugs, which was the Reagan years and the Bush years, their first Bush years, worse. it's gotten way worse, way worse. It's just become bigger and worse. And when they did prohibition and everyone was like, if nobody drinks, no one's going to drink and drive. No one's going to beat their wife when they no, get home drunk. Just, so we'll solve the whole problem. How did that work out? Awful. Right. People, <laughs> speakeasies and then people were like making their own alcohol and like killing people. And there was a whole black market for it. Yeah. Like more people died during prohibition than they did like, previous and post. Did you ever watch Boardwalk Empire? Yeah, hundred percent. It was amazing. <laughs> I loved it. It was one of my favorite. The Wire's still number one, mm-hmm. which just so happened to do with drugs. Yeah. And then there was board, Boardwalk Empire. Boardwalk, Boardwalk Empire, which again was an amazing, but it was about prohibition, right? Mm-hmm. And the illegal trade of alcohol. I'm only talking about those things because they're honestly the closest narrative we can get to historically that we can get reference from. Mm-hmm. Don't let us keep you up. Um, <laughs> And and it has such a corresponding overlay. Like these knuckleheads think that the government could actually make a law or a rule. And all of a sudden, all the bad guys are like, oh, shit, I wish I could rob that bank, but I'm not allowed to have a gun. No, it's the just- most asinine thing I've ever seen. And, and like it doesn't have anything based in fact. Mm-hmm. When the biggest cause of death in schools was fires, they implemented codes to create safer environments. And kids don't die in fires at schools anymore. They used to. It mm-hmm. used to be pretty regular, especially when they had coal-fired stoves in their one-room schoolhouses and the whole thing would tinder up and burn. And God, it was terrible. Well, guess what? Only the Amish do that shit anymore. <laughs> and they aren't listening to the podcast. I think they're asinine, personally. Like our education system today has schools that are institutionally developed and designed for safety yep. about fires. There's sprinkler systems and fire alarms and fire extinguishers and a fire safety protocol mm-hmm. and you practice leaving and all these things have been done. When we talk about gun violence in school, we talk about it in the context of, well, we have gun-free zones. That's the most asinine thing I've ever heard of. It's as effective like, as the drug-free zones are. That's saying like no smoking. Like the schools have been drug-free zones. I got news for you. Where do the most drugs get traded? High school. Right. <laughs> like it's a drug emporium. It's not worked and it never will. And nothing, making it illegal isn't going to change it. But what could change it is that you feeling, your feeling of an 
an individual responsibility to educate and evangelize about the importance. And that is something that our generation did not do. We did what you do. We were like, wow, those people probably don't appreciate my opinion. I'll keep that to myself. I'll be polite. Being polite has enabled the crazies. Yeah. That's crazy that you say that because I was actually just talking about that earlier about being polite to people like this is going to sound so messed up um (laughs) survival of the fittest and being polite to people that just could be dangerous it it can be it has been because but even if you're ignoring your gut instinct of like this person makes me uncomfortable but because i'll be like ridiculed for like following my gut instinct and then we're allowing certain people that probably shouldn't roam free or like should probably like seek help or be medicated but we have to be so polite to everybody that we just have to accept them for who they are well i and and i agree with that and i think there's like some really simplistic and asinine uh examples you could give right and um I'm going to make you all feel really uncomfortable on purpose because you're a niece, my daughter, and my daughter's boyfriend. Um, I would like to start being labeled as a missionary sex guy. <laughs> like nobody wants to hear about it, right? No. Nobody. It's not because I'm heterosexual or homosexual or transvestite. Like what you do in the bedrooms, your business. Why do we have to talk about it? Why do we have to acknowledge it? Why do we have to assign a pronoun to it? Like, do you, but yeah. keep it to yourself. I don't want to hear about your sex life. I, I don't care no. about it either. If, if you, you know, want to go hang out with dudes and you're a dude, good for you. Like whatever, to yeah. each of their own. I personally don't ascribe to it, but I don't wish to tell you not to do it. And I don't know, that used to be the normal in our country. It used to be so normal, but now it's like everybody has some fucking agenda well, that they have to get like across. There's a sense of privacy at all. And that could be like you on your cell phone or like what you're allowed to talk about in public. Like there's no sense of like, there's no line. One time I worked in a company and I was working with the main investor's daughter. Okay. Mm-hmm. And she was a Northwestern grad and a Duke School of Business MBA, really bright girl, mm-hmm. super bright. Um, and she would write these emails when we had, you know, end of month for P&Ls or, you know, uh, an event coming up that we we're preparing for. And they were really full butterflies and unicorns and everybody was a rock star. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, that's just not true. No. We, we had, I don't know, a hundred people working there, let's say around a hundred yeah. people. And there was probably like six or seven rock stars. And then there was a whole bunch of people that, you know, they came there, did their job and went home yeah. and they were just okay. And then there was probably a whole bunch of them that lowered 20 or 30% <laughs> that honestly just took up perfectly good air yeah. and didn't do any more than they were made to do. Yeah. And that's every company everywhere in every country of the world. Right. So everybody's not a rock star and we, you know, pumping ourselves up and everybody celebrating what their, you know, ability to talk about how they feel or what, you know, what they like to do in the bedroom, I guess it's none of it makes any sense. When I was growing up, it was considered impolite to talk about politics, what you make or what you have at dinner. And you certainly didn't talk about 
you know, what you and your wife did in the bedroom or you and your boyfriend or you and your fiance or whatever it was. We didn't talk about it. It was, and I would prefer if we'd go back to that. I would have to agree. Yeah. And and that doesn't mean anybody's ashamed of who they are or what they do. I don't think there's any reason for that. I don't think that people wake up and decide that they want to live a lifestyle that will have them looked upon disfavorably. I don't think that, I think people follow their heart and, and, and I can respect that. Like, don't have any issue. If you want to be, if you're gay, like, Hey, good for you. I don't, I don't, I don't care. I don't care about that. I care more about like, do you treat people well? Are you a good human being? Like those things matter to me. I don't give a shit about the rest of it. I just prefer we stop talking about it. And I certainly don't think it's a good idea for our children when they're in first grade to start talking about their sexuality. That's well, stupid. You don't even have a sexual organ at that point. No, you don't have well, a sexual thought. The thing that, like, you? If you're thinking about sex when you're in first grade, you're deviant. You're weird. There's something well, like the thing that I don't get is like the whole I just feel with a certain group of people like it they contradict themselves because we're going to do the whole like gentle parenting thing and like emotions and like let's but then we're going to like completely just like fuck all that and like what do you identify as and so it's like do they get to be a kid or do they not get to be a kid I love that I love that I love it because it's your truth right that's how yeah. you feel I don't think he's sitting over there squirming. This is a dude who goes up there and talk and does stand up comedy and says the most most raunchy shit I've ever heard. And And then invites my dad to go watch him do it. Yeah. And, and, but he's uncomfortable right now. Yeah. Because I'm talking about gentle parenting. You, You know what you should be comfortable with? Your truth. That's it. You should also never seek validation from another human being ever. You have validation that should come from one place. Yeah. Unless you don't, you're a non-believer, I guess. And then you can just validate yourself and burn in hell or whatever it happens to you then. <laughs> I hope that doesn't happen to anybody, but okay. Let's get this thing tied. We're going to put a bow on it. This okay. is a, it was a raucous conversation. I loved it. It was politically incorrect. When I first started my podcast, it was a joke, but it was barely a joke. I wanted to call. Do you remember what I was going to call it? Yeah. What was it? Me Too Podcast. It was, what was it? The Me Too Man Cave. Me Too Man Cave. That's right. We were going to have it from the Mm -hmm. Me Too Man Cave. (laughs) And everybody was like, oh, man, that's a little shit. You know, like, wow, I don't know if that's a good idea. And- I, it, it's satire. It's it's supposed to be funny. It's it's poking fun at the stupidity of how important labels have become to people. Again, as a kid, we grew up in in school and we played a game called Smear the Queer. We all played it. <laughs> it's like I didn't say it was right. I'm just being honest. Like every playground in the country had somebody playing it. Mm-hmm. It was a real thing. Everybody did it. I never put the context of that as a homosexual. Yeah. Like that was never the way I thought about it. Like I would never say, let's go smear the homosexual. Yeah. Like it it doesn't have it like, and I could see where if I were gay and people were talking about smearing the queer, like that would maybe be a little upsetting. So, Hey, I guess we don't play that game anymore. Yeah. Or maybe we call it something different. I don't know, but we had this thing that we were taught from the time we were little. And that is that sticks and stones can break your bones, but words will never hurt me. And everybody heard that. And we took it to heart. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. and we listened to it long enough. And then one day everyone started talking about validating each other's feelings. And I think that was the beginning of the end. Yeah. Like of, of being able to have intelligent data-driven fact finding missions. And now we have these emotionalisms and there's no wrong answer when we're talking about emotions. Right. So, um, let's get to what matters though. Megan, what's the dating scene like here in Bozeman? Oh my gosh. (laughs) No, serious question. Um, you should go to our bar. Yeah, evidently it worked for you. Yeah. Did it? I don't know. (laughs) So Megan, people ask you what your 10 year plan is. I don't give a shit about that. Who do you want to be as a human in 10 years? Uh, (laughs) I don't know. Hopefully pretty similar to the person I am now. You like yourself. Yeah, I do. That's cool. Um, Can I add something to it though? Yeah. I would like as your uncle and someone who wants what's best for you, for you to find a way to not just bring happiness to yourself, but to the world. You could teach a lot of people about what it is to be happy and finding joy. You're good at it. And I would say that that's one of your superpowers. And it's not in the words that you say, it's the way you live your life and the words that you could evangelize. And I think you should think about that. I think you're missing out on the, I know God loves you. I know that. And he loves the way you live your life. I know that too. And I know that you set an an incredible example because I've watched it, but I think there's another component of it. And it's the, um, fisher of men. And, and that really isn't men. It's Fisher of, of humans, right? How do you lead more people to the same journey that you're on? Because you know, it's the right journey and it's fulfilling, yeah. right? And don't you think when you have people following you into the wilderness on an animal, they never sat on and probably have never really sat on a lot of them ever, but certainly they're sitting on one they've never met before that they're probably as open at that moment because they're probably full of angst and a little fear which is why they go, right? Isn't that part of the entirety of why we love the wilderness is because we enter the food chain in the middle, anything could happen. And there's an adrenaline about that. You feel like you're really alive when you're there. Is that fair? Yeah. Is that, or is that not accurate for you? No, I would say that that's true. And that's probably one of the most profound times where you can actually talk to somebody and, and they can, they can listen, right? They feel vulnerable. Yeah. And I don't mean like pounding them with things they don't want to hear, but man, push yourself in that way. I think that you have a lot to give the world that way. I do. And then Nick, what kind of a human being would you like to be in 10 years? I'd say, you know, Wow, you, you're on top of this one. You even had time to think while she was answering. <laughs> Just respectable, you know, upstanding citizen of society, you know, every day striving to be the best version of yourself. So that's a I love short, that. sweet. Can I provide you with one? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was like, no, don't diagnose me. What I would say about you, Nick, is one, you're an incredibly insightful guy. You're also a really smart guy and you do a really good job of hiding it. You love to sneak up on people with that shit. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. 
it's okay to be exceptional. You're an exceptional guy. Really bright. You see things other people miss. You you know that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I've watched you. I work with you. I know. Mm-hmm. And when you use it the way you do, you're sort of keeping it a secret. And you're using it to like let other people have lower expectations of you. If they don't expect a lot, they can't be disappointed. <laughs> right? Yeah. I guess that's, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. When you have the gifts that you were given, you have a responsibility to use them and to do as much good with them as you can. And there's a lot of good that you could do in the world. I really believe that. And I, and I don't mean that you don't now and that you're not a great guy because you are. You're not perfect. None of us are. Right. But you have a lot you could offer. Being willing to share your insight and your intellect with people so they can be improved. Like that's a gift you give other people. And you can do that. Be more comfortable. Be more comfortable sharing it. Don't always, don't always, that's not the right word. You have a bit of a, I got a secret, but I'm not telling you what it is. Yeah. Little Mr. Roboto. Yeah. Secret, secret. Yeah. I like that. All right, Maddie, you're up next. (laughs) What kind of human do you want to be? What's your, what's your objectives for yourself as a human being in the next 10 years? 10 years from now, you're going to be in your late thirties. Yeah. I'll almost be 40. Can you um, please say that in a I'll, way that's I'll a little love, more whiny? Well, I hope I'm a mom in 10 years. Okay. Um, what, what is it about being a mother that's so interesting? I just feel like I'm such a, a very nurturing person. And I, I don't know. I've just always really wanted to be a mom. So you just have this love that you feel like you yeah. need to share. Well, yeah. that's pretty commendable. That's cool. Yeah. Everybody, you know, everybody has something different. Yeah. But that's a that's a that's a cool one, and uh, you know I don't. The stereotype is that every woman's supposed to feel yeah, that way, and, no. and that's not true either. No. no, but you feel that way. Yeah, cool. And I feel like if you don't feel that way, then maybe you shouldn't have kids. But well, I feel like I think when you start ascribing to the so social construct of what you're supposed to do, yeah. you're living in dogma. Well, you're yeah. living a life of other people's expectations. Yeah, no. Like that's stupid. Not a fan of that. I don't, don't think anybody Don't ever should do, that. do it. If you live your life trying to make other people think that what you're doing is cool, you've lived a pretty empty existence. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. So you want to be a mom. Yeah. That's one component. But yeah. that's not you as a human. That's no. a duty, a job, a wonderful responsibility. But how do you want to live your life? What do you want to, what do you want? If you were going to just like, check out of this place. What do you want people to think about you? What do you want people to say? What do you want people to feel? Um, I don't know. I, I've never thought about it. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Well, let me tell you something. Like if you don't have a plan, you will not achieve it. No. And I think. Th- <laughs> <laughs> so you've never lost because you never didn't achieve no, your goal. No, because I feel like I'm, I'm such a like. I always just wake up every day and like live each day is like, I never really have a plan. You know what I mean? I've never been a competitive person. I just kind of like enjoy each day. Um, I guess there's like life goals that I would like love. Like I'd love to own a home. I'd love to have a family. I'd love to get married. But like, those are just like, I don't know. If you didn't have those things, would you feel like your life wasn't full? 
Um, maybe because like those are things that I really want. Oh, cool. Well, th- that's 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 a great answer. You know, like yeah. it's not for everybody, but for me, those are things that I really want. So cool. You know what I want to do? I want to help each one of you get to be the person you've always wanted to be in whatever way I can. I don't I don't know that I can do that. I don't know yeah. that I have a much of a part to play in it. But <laughs> if I can, if I can be of assistance, I'd like to do that. Because I think when you realize at the end, it's like, I don't I know they're not going to build a park. No one's going to name a bridge after me. No, no one's, you know, no, there's, I'm not, I mean, yeah. I have not done anything that would be as interesting as that or that would warrant that, but I still wouldn't want it anyway. Like it, it doesn't mean anything. It's, no. it's sort of a, it's a token. I think like that saying is like, people don't really remember what you say. They remember the way you made them feel. Mm-hmm. And I would like to think that I could help make people feel good. I just hope people like when people think of me, I guess. Or I'm being talked about. I just hope that everybody always thinks like I was just like a nice person. Yeah. That's a really good one. I read this and then I'm going to close this out. What is the one thing that dictates whether or not your relationship will last? What quality do you think it is? It was a, I think it was a, it was a Harvard study they just finished. It was like a 15 or 25 years or something. What was that again? What? thing, what dynamic needs to exist in order for a relationship to last? Communication. Your guess. Uh, love. Okay. What's your guess? Trust. No. No. <laughs> Financial no. security? No. <laughs> what? Kindness. Okay. It's so profoundly simple. And I was like, it took them 25 years and they figured out that it was kindness. Like we all think about it. Like it's got to be some like. Well, I feel like, so, I think that's simple. Like I feel like if you're in a relationship, aren't you just supposed to be kind to the person? I don't with? think a lot of people are. Like I could probably point to a few people's relationships that don't talk to them each other in a very kind way. I mean, I feel like everybody has their moments, but. Oh, I think a lot of people have a hard time with kindness. <laughs> I think a lot of what we talked about today could be summed up and solved if everybody was kind. Yep. Well, I think this was another one of our rambles, but it was a good one. I think there's something in there if you want it. If you don't want it, you won't find it. So uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for coming to listen to the Wild Society podcast. We're going to come back and we have some really exciting guests in the future here. We have John Edwards from Schnee's, um, Lauren Kelly from Polymer 80, um, and a a bunch of other folks that we're excited to bring in. So uh, tune in and, and let us know what you think. Have a great day. 